Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Jesus died for me. Yes, He died for me. Through the sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child again. Yes, I am. In my
If you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, I'm excited to get into this text. I think it's kind of a little tough teaching, preaching, but um, tough is good, right, when it comes from the God. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, we're going to be looking at the parable of the fig tree. And remember, parables are just kind of everyday stories meant to communicate a truth. I love parables because they show us God's heart. We get to see God's heart, and it gives us insight into the culture of the kingdom of God. So that's where we're going to be looking at. Now, today's parable should be one that really grabs our attention because it causes us also to look inward and do some self-examination, which is a good thing, especially around the beginning of a year. So would you already start praying if you're not already Lord, would you soften my heart? Would you speak to me directly? Would you help me to hear what, what you would have me here, right? Would you guide my path? Would you direct my steps? Those are types of prayer that we can, we can start praying right now. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Hope you're at home standing right now, too. I know we've got quite a few people sick and, and watching. It'd be good to stand, right, in honor of God's word, even if you're at home. Now, there was some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should we use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The title of this sermon is One Rotation. One Rotation. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we, we pray that it would speak loud and clear to our hearts. Pray that it would convict us, that it would challenge us, that it would change us, Lord, and that we'd look more like you and be that representative that you've called us to be to this world outside of this building. Lord, give us opportunities to speak your word, to be that good example, to share the good news with those that we come into contact. Lord, don't let church just be about a Sunday here in your presence, Father, but help us to realize that we are your church. We are your ambassadors when we go out of this building. Father, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So Luke's gospel, some commentators say that this is part of the travel narrative, which begins in Luke chapter 9 and goes all the way to chapter 19. This is when Jesus is in the process of heading from Galilee to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9 says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. 
Setting, setting your face is really just kind of an expression that means um, he had resolute determination. All right, so he's determined to make his way to Jerusalem where, of course, we all know he would be crucified. He would lay down his life, as we talked about last week, and, and finish his mission, right? On the way to Jerusalem, though, he is preaching. He is teaching. He is having all sorts of conversations with people. He's doing miracles, and we have these incredible stories and these incredible sermons that we get to hear and, and see. Uh, we see, that, like I said, these meals with, with people. He, he changes lives in this journey, right? And it's just an important time of ministry. In fact, some believe that this is um, the defining moments of his ministry and we get to see his heart. We get the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? We preached on that. Uh, we get the parable of the lost sons, or what's commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. We have uh, the interactions with the rich young ruler. We have amazing passages of Scripture where we just get to learn so much about who Jesus is and what is on his heart. So this particular passage, though, this particular teaching for Jesus starts in Luke chapter 12, and they have, it says that there are thousands here gathered to listen to them. Disciples are here, Pharisees, religious leaders, and the people. Apparently during the time, though, that he's speaking to them, uh, news comes or the discussion turns to current events. Right, Luke chapter 13, verse 1, there was some present, and at that very time, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate has apparently murdered some Galileans, and their, their blood has mingled with the blood of their sacrifice. This would have been a terrible dishonor. This would have been unheard of. This would have, been, uh, this would have defiled their sacrifice. Ho- a horrible thing has happened here, even beyond them being killed, right? And Jesus uses this, uses this story, though, as an opportunity to correct the common thought of the day. If, you, if you're wondering what's going on in this passage, it doesn't really make sense to you. It's really about the, the common thought of the day. So what he does what he always does, he asks them a question, right? Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way. And you see, the common thought was that, um, that was taught by the Pharisees was that uh, calamity was just punishment for sin, right? Um, if something like this happened, then it must have been something terrible that the Galileans did to deserve this something horrible. They must have been terrible sinners. There's this account in John where Jesus and his disciples pass by this man that is born blind from birth, and they ask the rabbi, do you remember this? Who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he was born blind? And what does Jesus say? Neither sinned, right? Neither sinned. You see, at this time, if somebody was born blind, there must have been some kind of cause or some, must have been some kind of reason that this person was born that way. If somebody was born paralyzed, right, or became paralyzed, it must have been because of some kind of sin that was done. But Jesus confronts that, though. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Jesus continues with another example. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and, and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here are some people were, were at the water in Siloam. This is where the pool, actually where Jesus healed that, that blind man that I just mentioned. And he goes and washes himself in this water right here. Apparently, though, there was some kind of tower that fell on 18 and, and killed them. Again, to the average person at this time, you know, they believe that these 18 must have been worse sinners than anyone else, and God was punishing them by knocking a tower onto them. But Jesus corrects that, right? No, this is not the reason. It's not because you're born a certain way. It's not evidence that something bad has happened to you or that you've done something bad um, or that you're a sinner, 
right? Now, I hope that in today's society that we don't think this way, right? I think we know better, but sometimes I I, I wonder, I remember when a, a natural disaster hit down south, right? And I remember a, a preacher on TV that, that got on TV and said that maybe it was God's hand of judgment on these people. But does that mean that those people in America were, were worse than all the other people in America? Right? I think we're all probably deserving of God's judgment. I know we're all deserving of God's judgment. Or do you remember when that one nightclub got shot up and maybe some, some Christians suggested, oh, maybe that's God's hand of judgment. We've got to be careful with that. Do, do our actions sometimes lead to God's correction and rebuke? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I won't discount that. But, but there's a danger in, in thinking and seeing other people that way that we need to be careful that Jesus is confronting. See, when we put other people down then we elevate ourselves almost to the place where we don't need God's grace. We're not like them, those people, right? We're, we're good. And that's all the comparison trap, right? Listen to the account in Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who, listen to this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You know this parable. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. My friends, don't fall into the comparison trap, right? And don't fall into the line of thinking that you're righteous by yourself because Jesus tells you, unless you repent, you too will perish. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, right? Not some of us, all of us. All of us are in need of repentance. A common thought today, right, is I'm a good person. I don't need to go to church. I don't need God. I'm a good person, so that's going to set me up in the afterlife, right? Isn't that the thought today? Where does that come from? It comes from comparing ourselves to other people. And we know who to compare ourselves, right? The worst of the worst. When we compare ourselves to the worst of the worst, we feel better. We look better to ourselves. The problem, was, <laughs> the problem with that thinking is that when we stand before God, we don't get compared to other people, right? I'm not going to get compared to Lanny, to Corey. I'm going to get compared to Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. And when you get compared to Jesus Christ in every way, you're lacking, right? So Jesus is trying to get people to realize you are all in need of repentance, Before Jesus' ministry, John was sent to prepare the way, right? And he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Tax collectors were coming to him, right? And he told them, hey, here's a new way to live. Hey, don't collect more than you should, right? Don't rip people off. Here's a new way to live. Soldiers came to him, and the Bible says that he told them, don't extort people, right? Don't accuse people falsely. To those that were coming to John in his ministry, in Luke 3.8, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in competing, in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? Well, it's like with an an apology. Repenting really only means something if there is a change in behavior, Right? The way I act 
should match my repentance. If I'm driving with my wife and she asks me to turn left and I turn right and I say, oh, I'm sorry, right? But I keep going. And she's like, I needed you to turn the other way. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And I keep going, right? And she says, no, and I seriously need you to turn around. And I keep going and I say, I'm sorry. Am I really sorry? Right? No, I just don't want to go the way she wants me to go. That's how it is with God, though. No, I don't want to go that way you want me to go, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I got busted. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right? But it, that's not repentance. Repentance has to leave, lead to a change in behavior. It doesn't matter how many times you apologize. Like John, Jesus messaged at the start of his ministry, right, and then continued on in his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And that message, like I said, didn't change. Repent. Turn from your sin. Man, I got to hear a testimony today, and the person was talking about his parents, and he said that they did not grow up Christian, but they came to know the Lord, and it was like a 180-degree turn, right? They, they lived a totally different life. That's a great picture of repentance. Turn from your sin. Turn from your way of doing things and embrace God's kingdom way of doing things. Remorse is a big part. We should feel sorry, but repentance involves a change in direction. A change in thinking has to accompany it as well. We have to be willing to admit that our way of thinking is leading us in the wrong direction. And we have to submit our will, submit our lives, right? Surrender our way of doing things to Christ and follow him. The story of the lost or the prodigal son is a perfect example of this. The son realized, man, I messed up, right? I squandered my father's inheritance. He's sorry for he did what he did. He, he doesn't like how he's living, right? And, and he's, he's, he's remorseful for how he's wasted and squandered everything. He's convicted about that, but he doesn't stop there, right? What's he do? He returns to the father. He quits living life his way. And heads back to the Father. Remorse has to lead to action. It has to lead really to coming home to the Father. That's where it takes us. The Son returns home. And remember what he said to his Father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. Make me like your hired servant. Right? In these words we see sorrow. We see repentance. We see that this person realizes that the only hope he has is if his father takes him back and shows him mercy. And of course, the father does, right? The father doesn't scold him. The father doesn't put him down. The father doesn't pile on shame like we like to do that. The father just restores him to full sonship puts a ring on his finger, puts sandals on his feet, gives him the best coat, right? Kills the fatted calf. You're back. He restores him. Sometimes if you have a religious background, you think you have to work real hard and and earn your way back, right? You have to be worthy of it. Um, I got to quit messing up before I come back. No. Have remorse, right? Right? Be sorry for what you did. Realize what you did. Ask for forgiveness. But come home and let him change you. Don't try and change yourself, right? Because you won't do it. He can change you, though, if you submit yourself to him. Let him make you whole and, and give him some time to help you grow, right? That's repentance, Turn from living life your way to living life a new way, a kingdom of God kind of way. Who are you living for? Should be a question that we're all asking ourselves. In this passage, Jesus tells them this parable to illustrate about who are you living for. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, For three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Man, that that should should cause us all some serious introspection, right? 
cut it down? Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone for this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should not bear fruit, or then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it, you can cut it down. Before we, we really look into this, there's a big truth that we need to get right from the start. All right? um, fruit doesn't earn salvation. Fruit does not earn salvation. Fruit is evidence of salvation. And the right fruit is evidence of repentance. It's, it's evidence of who you're living for. You, you have to get that because if you don't, you can do a lot of damage with this passage if we don't understand that. Fruit doesn't earn salvation. Fruit is evidence of salvation. Remember branch life when we went through that, right? Unless you're connected to Christ, you can't bear fruit, right? branch life. In this parable, there's a, a man, though, that has a fig tree planted in his vineyard. The man represents God, the Father, right? The fig tree represents you and me, and we're planted in his vineyard. We are one of his. The vine dresser or caretaker represents Jesus. So the man, the owner, God the Father, goes into his vineyard, notices this fig tree that hasn't produced any fruit, in fact, it hasn't produced any fruit for three years, right? Quite a bit of time here. And it's just been sitting there in the vineyard, sucking up nutrients, right, from the soil, getting watered, getting pruned, enjoying the sunshine, being taken care of by the vine dresser for three years, and it hasn't produced any fruit. And then we hear those three words that I said should grab our attention. Cut it down. Cut it down. Why? Well, after three years, if it's not producing any fruit now, it's probably not going to produce any fruit, right? It's taking up space. For, for three years, this tree has had everything it needs to produce fruit, but it didn't produce fruit. Take inventory, my friends, right? Take inventory. Are we the people that have been sitting in the pews, sitting in the chairs, going to church for years, but there's no fruit. And I'm talking fruit. I'm talking about lasting, life-changing fruit in our lives. Are we seeing our hearts being transformed, right, to look more like Christ? Or are we just receiving from this ministry but never contributing to this ministry? Are we people that ask for prayer? We covet those prayers, right? But we're not willing to pray. We're not willing to get on our knees and pray for those people around us. We appreciate it when somebody helps us with our burdens, right? But do we seek to help others with theirs? Are we the people that expect the church to help us financially or physically, but we don't participate with any of that? We've been in the vineyard for years. We've been showing up. But is there any fruit? That's the question that we all need to ask. If we aren't growing, if we aren't producing fruit, then we're not living in repentance. We're living for ourselves. We're doing things, we're doing life the way we want to do it. We're, the focus is us and not God. Right? And the message is clear. Cut it down. Well, I'm a good person, right? I'm not like one of these big sinners. I'm not this way or I'm not that way. I don't have these obvious sins that these people do, right? I'm, I'm good. No. Unless you repent, unless I repent, unless we all repent, we will perish. We're, perish, we're talking hell, all right? Let's not sugarcoat it. We're talking about eternal separation from God. We're talking about damnation. We're talking about never being by anything good again. Is there fruit evident in your life? If there's not, that should scare you. That should cause us all to question and look. It seems like a hard message, right? But thank God for that message, right? Thank God for this warning. That's what it is. Thank God for a chance to set things right. God's not pouring on shame. There's no shame here, right? God's not putting you down. God's not 
saying, gosh, you're horrible. You don't produce any fruit. Shame on you. He's saying, get this. Understand this. If you don't, get your life right. Repent. Turn. Turn from your way of doing things. Turn from the way that you're living your life. Man, I've got a better life for you. Right? That's the message. Repent. Give your life to Christ before it's too late. Jesus says, man, I don't want to see you go down that path. It says, well, that none should perish. I have a better way for you. You can be part of what I'm doing. How exciting is that? You can be a part of what I'm doing. You can see fruit in your own life. You can see fruit in other people's lives, right? You can see lives changed. You can see lives set free. Your life can be changed. Your life can be set free. Don't you as a parent, right? Don't you want to be the best parent you can? Don't you want to set the best example that you can for your kids? Don't you want your kids to see Christ in you? Live in repentance. Quit living for you. Quit going in that direction. Living life how you think life should be lived. Like you know more than the God of the universe. There's a cost to following Jesus. But when you get it, it doesn't feel like a cost, right? It feels like a privilege. When you really understand it, right, it feels like a a privilege to serve people, to help people, to give, to sacrifice, right, to be made fun of. It's a privilege. Man, I I see, let's get on a taboo subject, right? I see giving as a privilege, not a chore, Right? I'm excited to give. When I see the fruit that comes from it, that excites me. Uh, that brings me joy. We, we sponsor two kids right, in different parts of the, the world, and it's a chunk every month. But when we get those letters right from them, and when, they, when they're telling us about what they're learning about Jesus Christ, and, and when they tell us, hey, we're praying for you. Right? This kid, one kid's in a village. Man, his birthday presents was a chicken and some rice, right? And here's this kid saying, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. And we hear about what Christ is doing in their life and what they're, what they're learning about, right? Do you think we ever regret giving? You won't hear us say, man, I wish we were padding our retirement more. No, it's a privilege. When we contribute to a ministry that helps see people set free from slavery, man, how cool is it to be a part of that, to contribute towards that? What, what possibly could we buy that would be as cool as seeing somebody who was a slave who is now set free? What, what possibly could we buy that compares to that? How cool is it, a poor, is it to support this church and to see lives changed? How cool is that? It's a joy to give. Now, while I say that, do you think it was a joy when I first started going to church? No, it wasn't for me. My attitude when I started coming to church was, heck no, I'm going to keep that money. I want to keep it in my pocket because i got a lot of things that I want to get. Over time, though, God has taken me up the rungs of the ladder of giving, right? It started off first rung, just start giving. God lays something on your heart, just give it five bucks in the offering plate, ten bucks in the offering plate, whatever I had. That's how it started. Then God said, man, why don't you give regularly? That was the second rung. I moved up a rung, and I started to give every week an amount. And then God said, hey, I want you to trust me. Let's tithe. Let's give 10% of your income first to me. Not, not when it's left over. Let's do that. So I said, okay, let's do that. And I started to do that. And then God said, what about if you, you would support this ministry, though, too, on top of your tithe? And you'd, you'd give to this. And he laid things on, on my heart, right? And so I gave above and beyond the tithe. I remember when this church was built, right? There was a big challenge. Two years. Hey, commit the, commit the giving two years for this church, and three months into that commitment, my income got cut in half, right? And that's how it happens. If you, if you decide to tithe or start giving, expect something like that to happen. Just be prepared, all right? But here, here's my testimony. 
God provided a way to keep that going. Income cut in half. I went to some people that I trusted, and I said, what, what do you think about my commitment? And they said, you know what? God understands you. You, you had your income cut in half. You can get out, get out of that, right? But I never felt that release from God. And I just said, I'm just going to try to do it, right? So I, I cut my cell phone bill, cut my TV, cut some other bills, quit going out, right? I got another job cleaning toilets at night and on the weekends, and that helped. And then I started having some weird things happen. Man, I got, a, I got a paycheck from my previous job where they said, hey, we haven't paid you all that we, you deserved years ago, right? A check out of the blue in the mail. I got a check from the insurance company. Hey, you've overpaid your premiums. Here, we, we owe you this money. If that's not a miracle of God to get a check from an insurance company, right? What is? Two years come. I'm not saying it's easy, but God provided God made a way, right? And I learned I can depend on him. I can trust him to do what he calls me to do. Amen. Right? On top of that, months after that two years was up, I was looking at how much had, had gone in, and I get a check out of the blue for twice that check out of the blue, wasn't expecting it for twice that. So not only do I learn that, hey, God will provide, I learn, hey, God will bless. Can I challenge you? Take a step up the rung of the ladder of giving, whatever that means for you this year, wherever you're at, right? Don't compare yourself to anybody. I got a big head when I started tithing. I was like, yeah, I'm a tither, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And I did my mom's taxes, and she made half what I made and was giving the same amount of money that I was giving. So she's given 20%. Don't be happy where you're at, wherever that is. Don't be happy where you're at. Know that, hear that God enables, God provides, and God blesses. The only part in the Bible where God says, test me, is when it comes to giving. It's a joy today to give. Today you might not be there, right? But take a step. Take a step. All right. Uh, in the Bible, let me tell you something. It's never about how much you give, right? Because I remember in the Bible, Jesus is watching people throw money into the temple and giving. And there's people throwing in big sums of money. And then there's this poor widow, right, who comes with two coins, two copper coins, and she throws it in. And Jesus sees that. Right? She says, he says, she's given more than anybody else. It's never about the amount of money you give. It's about being faithful with what God calls you to give where you're at. Give your chance, give yourself a time to grow in that, right? I'm blessed because I have a wife that tithed to before I met her, and so it was easy for us. You might not have a spouse that believes in the same thing that you do, so you're going to have to work through that, right? All right? Give yourself some time to grow. Give that person some time to, to grow in that, all right? Uh, as I've studied this passage, man, I've been convicted. Man, I've been convicted. Am I, am I turning more and more of my life over to God uh, as I discover new areas that he asked me to lay things down with? Am I doing that? Am I doing that or am I falling into the trap that I'm content because, oh, I'm doing better than that person, I'm good to go, right? Am I comparing myself to other people? Or am I comparing myself to Christ? Like I said, on Judgment Day, man, that's who I'm getting compared to. And, and, and I'm going to fall short, just like you are going to fall short, right? And it's only because the grace of God that I'm going to get through that Judgment Day. It's only because I'm going to take on Christ's righteousness, that I'll be seen as righteous. It only comes from him. Man, that's why it's a privilege to serve him, to give to him, to sacrifice for him, because I know the sacrifice that he did for me, right? I want to I look more like him. And I've <laughs> come to realize there is, there is always room for more fruit and growth. Maybe you had growth 10 years ago, but maybe for the last few years it's been a little stagnant. Be careful. 
live in repentance, right? Live with that attitude. Uh, I know he's showing you some opportunities for growth. I know he is, because that's just what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts, right? He shows us things. He enlightens us with things. Paul the Apostle writes in Galatians, he says, hey, walk by the Spirit and not by the desires of the flesh. Don't follow your desires, but walk in step with the Holy Spirit. The fruit in keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm convicted. God is just showing up in my life. Thursday night, I'm at a basketball game, and I almost get kicked out because I'm yelling at the ref. How stupid is that, right? What, what kind of witness is that? What kind of example is that? Really? Yeah, really. That's, you can ask my family, right? <laughs> Saturday, yesterday, I'm having a team meeting with leaders of the church, right? And I say something in that team meeting to somebody that had no grace in it. No grace. And man, I had to apologize. And I had to apologize again today. No grace in that. Man, I got room for fruit. I got room for growth. Do you? Man, I pray that it convicts us, this message convicts us, and that we repent and we look at the areas of our lives where God is saying, lay that down, lay that down, man. And I know the tendency is to want to hang on to those areas, right? Because you think that they're good areas. You think that you're happy with those. But, my friends, he has something better, far better, if you're willing to lay those areas down. What's he calling you to repent of man am i am i fake up here preaching about the things or am i putting them into practice am i ordering my life around the word of god or am i just taking the things i want to take and leaving the rest that i don't like out we should look different right than the world we should look different than the world and if we don't look different let's repent right Let's fall on our knees before God and say, change us. Do your work inside of us, right? Because if not, there comes a point where he says, cut it down. Cut it down. Uh, Can I show you the part that really gets me with this parable? The part that I love? And this parable is kind of hard, right? The master says, cut the tree down. The vine dresser our intercessor, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, answers the Father, right? And he says what? Sir, give me one more year. Whew. Give me one more year. Leave it alone one more year. Let me dig around it. Let me widen the water intake, right? Let me put some stink on it. Let me put some manure on that person's life, right? Let me put some nutrients on it. Let me spend some time really working on it. And then, and then let's come back in a year and check it out. Somebody needs to hear this today. Maybe you got a year. I don't know. You got a rotation, right? Maybe you don't. Maybe you got a day. Maybe you got a week. Maybe you're going to go out of here and, and die. I'm not trying to scare you, but get your life in order, right? You're hearing the message today. God is calling you to repentance today. Don't wait. Don't think you got a year. Right? I I remember the moment in my life coming to church, living for me. Pretty miserable life. Lost everything in that season. That's the season where my income got cut in half that I talked about. I lost my friends. I lost the people that I cared about. Tough spot. Christ was pruning my life. Christ was throwing some manure on my life, right? And it got my attention. He said, lay it all down. It was easy because I didn't have nothing to hold on to, right? I had lost it all. He said, lay it down. I got something so much better if you'll just start living for me instead of yourself. And I made that commitment on that day, right? And what a heck of a ride it's been since then. 
Am I perfect? No. Right? Probably get kicked out of a, a basketball game. But am I committed? Am I willing, when God points something out, to say I'm sorry, to seek forgiveness, to repent of? Yes. And that's where we all need to live. You're not going to be perfect, right? But you can live in repentance. Is Jesus trying to appeal to you today? Is he calling you to repentance? Is he telling the Father, give him one more year? One more year. I don't know, right? Don't count on that. Repent. Would you stand with me? I, I fear, my fear is that somebody is in here today or you're watching online and you might be saying, I'm going to keep doing things the way I want to do it. You're really saying that you know better than God. You're really playing God. And that's a scary place to be. Please don't. Please repent. Don't miss this invitation to repent. Right? Unless you repent, you'll perish. Let me, let me give you another story to help you understand where God's coming from, though. All right? 1981, there was a, a, a stolen car in California. Police were staging an intense search for this vehicle. They were really trying to find to the driver. They went to the extent of putting out um, news bulletins on the radio and, and asking the thief to just come in and, and, and turn yourself in. You see, in the front of that stolen car, the, the owner had put a box of crackers there, but unbeknownst to that thief, he had laced those crackers with poison. He was going to use them for rat bait. Now the police and the owner of the car were more interested, right, in apprehending the thief to save his life rather than recover the car. Often when we run from God, we, we feel like we're running from his punishment, but we're, what we're actually doing is fleeing from his rescue. He's trying to save you. He's trying to save us. Do you need to repent? That's my question for you today to chew on, to think about. I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, if there's anything that you need to repent of, maybe you've picked something up, maybe you've been living without some fruit in your life and you just need to surrender some areas to God, would you come up now and pray for that and ask God to enable you to repent? Would you lay down your pride? and live in that area. Is there fruit in your life? Do you need to repent? If you're online and you, you need to repent, would you let me know? Would you send me a message just so I can pray for you? Right? Now's the time, though, to take care of that. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your warning. Thank you for your message. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would take an inventory of our life and see, are we living for you? Are we completely surrendered to you? If there is there any area that we're holding on to, Father, would you help us to lay it down and live in that repentance? Father, if it's an area we don't even realize, would you bring it to our attention, Lord? Father, would you, would you help us this year to be in your word, to be in prayer, to spending time with you so that we can evaluate our lives against the word of God so that we can see the areas where we're falling short. Lord, don't let us compare ourselves to anybody else, but only you. Father, change us, transform us. Father, I pray if there's somebody stuck in some habitual sin, I pray that they would fall down at your knees, at your feet, and just surrender their life to you. And not worry about how many times they've fallen, how many times they've done anything, Lord. Just let them live there at your feet. And Father, we pray that you'd break that bondage, that you would remove that from their lives. Lord, if it's an attitude, if it's a crappy attitude, Lord, would you help us to lay it down? If it's a wrong way of thinking, would you help us to lay it down? 
if it's just focusing on ourselves and being selfish, would you help us to lay it down and serve you with everything that we have? Lord, would you enable us to do that? Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. In your mighty name, amen.